and Pogba leaves for McTominay! Magnificent! Torres, he's done it again! He has fizzed that into the bottom corner. Vardy for Chowdhury. And set for Madison! Alisson saw Salah running from his own half, so onside here, Mo Salah. Salah to settle it! In front of the cop! There's no feeling like that feeling! And now you've got to believe them. You have got to believe them. Thank you. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the 3PL podcast. We're over halfway through the season now, and things are starting to fall into place as to where teams are going to finish the season. But there's no let-up in the Premier League and the schedule is hectic going into another weekend. So we're going to start off with the first game, which is Leicester versus Liverpool. Uh, probably the best game of the weekend, just straight off the bat. So two teams who have been in the Champions League spots all season. Liverpool obviously very disappointing lately, but Leicester have been flying high. And this game is probably going to determine a lot of things in the Premier League, in my opinion. I think both these teams arguably could go for the league still. Um, Leicester slightly better place than Liverpool at the moment, but... That defeat for Liverpool at the weekend was just absolute carnage from their point of view. And Anfield's looking nothing like a fortress anymore. And it's been torn down by three teams in the space of a month. Brighton, Burnley and now Man City as well. So, yeah, I mean, where does Liverpool go from here? Yeah, I did see a few people call it, to be honest, when Liverpool lost that first game at Anfield that they reckoned it was going to be a bit of a, a crumble. You know, that that record almost sort of was a self-fulfilling prophecy. They went into every game there and they were undefeated there in so long, so they'd always be undefeated. And as soon as they lose that game, the confidence they have going onto the pitch at their home stadium just diminishes. And what I think they've probably lacked is not having the fans in the stadium. If they'd lost a game there, but Anfield was full for the next game of passionate fans singing them on and spurring them on, then those doubts about their ability go away immediately they've got the fans behind them the atmosphere's there and they pick themselves up but because they've walked out again into an empty stadium no sound no fans no support it's going to be hard for them to shake off the issues that they've had in the last few games there and those those memories are going to be quite raw still talking of memories being quite raw I think Allison's going to have to really big himself up going into this game because although it's away from home and it's not like he's going back onto the same pitch where those errors were committed there are two massive errors that he made in that game arguably almost three errors that he made in that game that led to goals if he's not psychologically strong in that situation that could be a real issue for him to get over that every time the ball comes to his feet and he goes to play it out there's going to be a part of the back of his mind that reminds him of what's happened and Leicester will be definitely hoping they can capitalise on those issues because that could be their route to win this game in what is really going to be a, a tough game between two teams that are right up there in the mix at the moment. Exactly, and those mistakes from Alisson are you know, so uncanny for, for him. I think he's been probably the best goalkeeper in Europe for at least two years now. And just in one game, just like that, in the staff of your fingers, um, two huge mistakes that cost Liverpool two goals and all of a sudden he becomes questionable in that team and you know maybe Liverpool are going to be asking not another goalkeeper who's making mistakes we saw it with Karius and he cost them a Champions League final I mean I wouldn't say these mistakes are going to cost Liverpool the title this year but they definitely played a part in, in putting them down the table so yeah it's going to be tough for him mentally to get over that one and I don't think they're going to drop him I don't think it makes sense to I think he's going to stay in there and try and play through what was a really poor one-off performance in my opinion and fingers crossed for his sake that they don't become too frequent because we've seen what happens to goalkeepers at Liverpool when they aren't, you know, full of confidence. And uh, yeah, it's a difficult road to go down. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on in, in this game against Leicester because we've seen how good Leicester can be this season and they've got plenty of attacking threat going forwards. They're welcoming back a fully fit Jamie Vardy after his hernia surgery. So this game really is shaping up to be one of the biggest of the season, not just because where they sit in the Premier League, but for Liverpool, if they lose this game, I would say they're going to struggle to make Champions League places, not just fight for the title. Um, these players are going to be so low of confidence if they if they get another loss in this game. So it's really difficult to call, in my opinion. Yeah, it is really difficult to call. They're definitely both teams that will feel going into this game that they deserve to win. But arguably, you'd say Leicester are the favourites for this, which is I don't think anyone would have been thinking about at any point in the last few seasons as, as Leicester being a genuine better title contender than Liverpool, considering how much of a great job Klopp has done. But, you know, going back to Brendan Rodgers, who obviously was Liverpool manager for a, a really decent period. It wasn't like he had a short stint there and was unsuccessful. He had a really long time there, took them really close to winning the title. 
and arguably since he's left there, he's gone on surely to be one of the most successful managers in the world in terms of what he's done with the clubs that he's he's been at. Celtic obviously have the advantage of being the best team in Scotland the whole time that he was there. But with Leicester, he took them from a, a really poor state to now being a genuine top four contender every season. So, I mean, it's two very, very talented managers coming up against each other. Two managers with a lot on the line in terms of their reputation and wanting to get their teams further up the league. I think this genuinely is is playing up to be one of the sort of the better games of the season in terms of all the storylines building into it. And it's not often you get that as the twelve thirty kickoff on a Saturday, right at the start of the weekend, is it? No, it's very true. Usually it's games are, you know, put back to Sunday evening, um and they usually disappoint, but maybe this is a great way to kickstart the weekend and kickstart Leicester's title push, maybe. Yeah, I guess there are a couple of questions that I want to ask you before we get into our predictions on this game. This is probably the worst stretch of form we've seen from a Liverpool side in nearing on two years. Say Liverpool don't get a good result in the Champions League uh, in their first knockout round against RB Leipzig and then they go on to lose uh, against Everton next weekend in the Merseyside derby. Do you think Klopp's position as manager starts to come under scrutiny or do you think he'll stick out the season and probably blame it on injuries that they weren't able to compete for a title? I think it's a really tricky one because for a lot of managers in this run of form and then with that kind of, you know, assuming those results happen as you've said them, a lot of managers would be in serious trouble. I just think with Klopp, he's such a character in that in that Liverpool team and in that Liverpool format that they've got at the moment. And he has been given the backing of the board so consistently. I can't see them sacking him based on one dip in form. And I think if they did, it would be really, really short-sighted of them to, to let someone go like that. Because realistically, you've got to assume he's still got the players backing. You don't go from a manager that wins a Champions League and a Premier League with you in consecutive seasons to suddenly lose in the dressing room. I don't think he's got that kind of side to him that, that would allow that to happen. I think the players clearly all buy into the way he likes to play and there's no signs of any sort of dissent in the ranks or anything like that. If that was the case, if it if it did look like he was starting to lose the dressing room or he'd had some falling outs with some key players, then maybe you could see that happening. But I don't know. I think he's probably done enough over the last few years to deserve a bit of patience from the board. And, you know, maybe they look at this season as being extenuating circumstances with COVID and injury crisis and all of that. And then they say, let's just go again. And then if he fails again next season, then maybe we do start asking serious questions. But realistically, I think he's probably going to be okay this season. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you there. I think he probably has done enough over the last couple of years to to prove himself as not only a great manager, but a great figure in Liverpool. I think he's done so much for that club already and he'll always go down in history as the as the manager who brought them a Premier League title. So to get rid of them now during a very sticky patch that they're going through is, is probably a bit harsh. But yeah, it's definitely one to keep an eye on, I think, if it doesn't improve soon. Um, in terms of a prediction for this game, I'm actually going to go for a draw and sit on the fence. I know earlier in the season I predicted Leicester to end Liverpool's unbeaten run at Anfield, but it didn't go to plan and Liverpool have been better away from home this season. So yeah, I'm going to sit on the fence and go for a one-all draw. These games tend to get built up, as we've said previously, with uh, games that get a huge billing and they, they tend to disappoint. I'm hoping it's not that way, but that's the way I'm going to slide on it, I think. Yeah, I hope it doesn't go that way as well. I've gone for a 2-1 Liverpool win. I think they desperately need a win and a win against third place Leicester would be the perfect recipe to sort of solve all of their problems because that would get them right back into that fight in the top four. If they lose this game, they're really in danger of actually getting overtaken in the top four race and dropping out of the top four, which for a champion sort of going into it would be the worst possible scenario at this stage of the season. So yeah, I think they'll they'll have enough to get through this. And I think it's hard to look at their team and find weaknesses, really. Even with the injuries, they have still got so many quality players in there. And I think they do have the ability to turn it around. Plus, we are still looking at a Leicester team that, yes, although they are playing very well they have had their own injury problems uh, Jamie Vardy's obviously had surgery and is not necessarily fully 100% fit even now so there's there's it's not the the perfect best team that's coming into this so personally I do think Liverpool would have just a little bit too much for them okay and then moving into the second game of the weekend Crystal Palace taking on Burnley in a game of two teams who play really crap football so that, this is going to be an exciting one isn't it Crystal Palace, have, we've said consistently throughout the season, have been just rubbish in the way they play. They're really boring. Hodgson doesn't seem to know how to get them to play exciting football anymore. And then Burnley have sort of, you know, they've, they've picked up a few wins with some big results. They've got some important goals. But again, they're just, I've not seen a single thing from Burnley this season that actually makes me want to watch their matches. I know you probably don't necessarily agree with me on that because you said a few weeks ago you're a little bit of a closet Burnley fan. But I don't know. I'm not sure I see it the same way you do right now. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't say I'm a Burnley fan as such, but um, I'm definitely a fan of the way the club go about 
their business, not necessarily from a transfer point of view or the way they play football, but in terms of a club and how they um, appear from a passive point of view, not from a fan's point of view, is you know it, it's a nice story that they do so well every year playing this unique brand with a manager who is, you know, I think he's won his way into a lot of people's hearts recently, especially after this press conference he did in the week, just showing his personality a little bit more. I thought that was a really great interview in terms of showing everyone else what you don't see on, on, a, on a touchline. I thought he was really personable and, and really relatable. I thought some of the stuff he was talking about was just your chat you'd have down a pub with your mates. So uh, I really liked that side of them. Obviously, it doesn't really translate to the way they play football. I think, it, if anything, it's, you know, the opposite. And I think they come across very one-dimensional. And as much as they are that, I think they've done really well this season to to kind of pull away from the danger that they were in to the start of the season because they started the season really poorly. But recently, they picked up some really great results against some good teams. So arguably, yes, they've not been too great lately. They lost to Chelsea, lost to Manchester City. I think those are all matches that they won't be expecting to get points out of anyway. Before that, they, they beat Liverpool, of course, and then they beat Aston Villa, two teams who have been flying high this season. So for all of my negative words towards Burnley and the way they play football, they, they do get results, unlike Crystal Palace, who, in my opinion, just haven't done anything of note this season. They've been poor in every game I've seen them play. I think there's that stat that they've lost their last 17 games uh, of 19 where Zaha hasn't played. And that just basically outlines everything that's wrong with Crystal Palace. They play through one person and expect him to do all the work for them. And when he doesn't play, they don't have a plan B. And without a plan B, you're not going to pick up any points. And that's just the way it's been. We saw it against Leeds. Zaha didn't play. They lost. Uh, the two games before that, Zaha plays. They won. So it's very easy to play against when you know Zaha's not playing, then they're not going to be able to create much. So my prediction in this game comes down to whether Zaha's going to be playing or not. If he does, then I imagine they'll probably get an all right result, if not a win. But if he doesn't, then, you know, Burnley should definitely be well up for this. And that's the way I'm going to side. I don't know what the injury problem is with Zaha, but I am anticipating he's not going to play. And yeah, I guess my inner Burnley fans coming out again, and I'm going to predict a 1-0 win for Burnley. And I've gone for a 1-0 win for Burnley. So we're starting off just the way we like it on this episode. Going back to what you were saying about Sean Dyke, that I thought that press conference was brilliant. I completely agree with you. I think it, it really showed his personality. I think if I'd asked this question to you a couple of years ago, maybe the obvious answer would have been Jurgen Klopp as to um, who is the most likeable manager in the Premier League at the moment. But for my mind, given that Klopp's sort of shown some a bit of a nasty side to him the last few games and probably lost a lot of favour in a lot of people's minds for the way he's behaved towards certain journalists and in the way he's sort of come across in interviews. Do you think Sean Dyke is, is up there now as the, the most likeable manager in the league? I think it's hard to find anyone who really competes with him at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there aren't masses to choose from, in my opinion. I think there are some very good managers in the Premier League, but I think their personalities maybe let them down a little bit in terms of likeability. So, He's definitely up there. I would I would probably side on on Ralph Hasenhutl as well. I think he's I think he's a great personality to have in the Premier League. I think he's really entertaining in interviews and I think his honesty after that unfortunate defeat we had last week in press conferences was refreshing and he always comes across pretty well in two situations. So yeah, Ralph maybe and then Sean Dyke and then yeah, finding another candidate to fill that top three is pretty tough. Uh and maybe Bielsa, although he doesn't say much, he always Comes, his translator does a very good job of portraying his thoughts and some of the answers he gives in press conferences are very blunt and to the point and I think that's something that you don't see from many managers so fair play to him for sticking true to himself and just you know coming out with what everybody I guess is thinking but not necessarily saying so yeah I guess that would be my top three. As you said there's there's limited people to choose from really aren't there because there's not that many managers that you look at and think oh, I'd like to sit down in a pub and have a chat with them and that's why I think Sean Dyke would be absolutely up there for me because I'd love to go to the pub with him. I think it'd be amazing. Play looky like you. Yeah, exactly. Play looky like you with him all night long. It'd be brilliant. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's there's plenty of managers out there that you'd look at and think, oh, you're a genius mind, but I wouldn't really want to have a chat with you. Um, and I think it's nice to see a manager at the top level of the game that you think you could actually see yourself getting on well with. I think he's he's won himself a lot of friends in that situation. And yeah, he, he deserves a lot of credit for, for the way he's behaved over the last few months with uh, dealing with a time when a lot of people are probably pretty miserable and he's he's done a lot to keep people entertained. So fair play to him. Yeah, totally agree. In these times, I think it's very refreshing to see someone come out and take the edge off what is usually a very serious uh, press conference. So it was it was something that I hope more people do and follow suit. Um, right, next up, we have Man City versus Tottenham, Pep versus Mourinho, two managers who aren't necessarily too well liked in terms of how they portray themselves in the media, but two very good football teams nonetheless. And 
Man City at the moment just look unbeatable. Uh, I think the league's pretty much tied up at this point. They've gone 10 points clear with a game in hand. And the way they're playing at the moment is just amazing to watch. Um, at the start of the season, they weren't quite playing to their full potential. But the last month or so has been probably some of the best football that they played. Maybe since Pep's been there, I thought, especially his performance against Liverpool at Anfield, was probably the best performance I've seen from a Man City side. I thought they were just so good back to front. I thought Phil Foden probably had his standout game in a Man City shirt. I don't think he has ever played better. Uh, two assists and a goal. And yeah, in general, just I thought it was super impressive. They just dismantled Liverpool in a way that's never really happened at Anfield, especially on the clock. So yeah, fair play to Pep for going there and actually taking it to them because it would have been very easy for him to sit back, take the draw and just hope results go their way and, and win the league that way. But they really woke up with um, destruction on the mind and they, they took apart Liverpool. And then, and then moving on to Tottenham, I thought they were okay against West Brom last time out, but they weren't anything special. And it's something that they struggled with a lot lately is that they've been, I don't know, without Harry Kane, I know he came back against West Brom, but without him, kind of similar to the Crystal Palace situation, they just didn't seem to be able to find a way to find goals without having Harry Kane through the middle. Although Son's a great player and they have great wingers, uh, Lucas Moura, Bergwijn, they just didn't seem to be able to find an easy route to goal. As soon as Kane comes back into the team, he scores and the game was kind of won at that point. I thought West Brom were probably holding out for a draw. And yeah, I I think Tottenham broke them down in the first half and, and ultimately got the win that way. Going into this game, I think it's going to be interesting for Tottenham because this is a pivotal game for them, sitting in eighth place currently in the Premier League. If they don't get a good result in this game, I can easily see them slipping out any kind of European contention, maybe even missing out on Europa League. There's so much competition over those spots now. We've seen of your side, West Ham, Everton, teams in and around them who could easily nick that spot away from them. And the way they're playing it wouldn't surprise me either. So in my eyes, this should be a pretty comfortable win for Man City, which I didn't think I'd be saying a couple of months ago. No, I completely agree. A few seasons ago, this was, well, even in last season and the season before, this was a game that you looked at as being you know, decided for top four places, potentially, and Man City often edge it, but Tottenham have had some good results in this game as well. Um, But realistically, going into this weekend, there's only one winner in my mind. Um, Tottenham don't look the team that they have in previous seasons. They've had some really poor results recently. Whereas, as you said, Man City are just absolutely flying at the moment. Their level of performance is just, I don't know, it's just another level, isn't it? And that was emphasised massively by that game against Liverpool to miss a penalty and then still go on and win the game 4-1, I think shows something about the character of that team. I do want to just sort of quickly touch on Phil Foden as well. And he's 20 years old, this guy, and the level of his performance against the reigning champions in the Premier League, I just thought it was something else. I mean, for, for him to be the player that, OK, he, he's, yes, he scored one goal and got an assist, which is not an incredible performance from stats perspective. But in terms of the impact he had on the game, I just think he was another level uh, in that game. I think a player of his age that can step up in a game of that calibre, that's really something exciting. There's obviously quite a lot of really talented young players around the world. But I mean, how, how high up would you rank Phil Foden at this stage? Do you think he's really up there with the best? After that performance, I would I would definitely say yes, actually. I think for a long time, he was in the shadows of other people in this Man City team. I don't think he got the game time he probably wanted or deserved. But this season, with the absence of David Silva in the summer, uh, leaving the Premier League to go back to Spain, he's had that opportunity to play regular minutes, regular games, and we've seen just how good he can be. And this was a standout performance. I think this was his, his breakthrough, if anything. I think he'll now start to shine on a regular basis. And if Pep starts putting him back on the bench then he must be a little bit mad because in my opinion I think he's the best British talent we've had since Wayne Rooney um, in terms of his goal scoring ability his ability on the ball his awareness and like you said for his age I think he's just on another level to everyone else we have in in that attacking midfield position I think he's better than Grealish I think he's better than Madison I think he really could be you know the next big thing and yeah fingers crossed he is because honestly he seems minus that uh, slip up he had on England duty he seems like a, a great guy and I think in this Man City team, he's only going to thrive. So, yeah, it'd be great to see how, how good he does become. Yeah, I completely agree. I think he's he's got the potential to go on to be an all-time England great. And I, I hope he does. I think he seems like he's got a great character. As you said, he's had a, a minor indiscretion sort of over the summer. And I think in some ways it's really good that he's had that moment so early in his career. It will be a lesson learned for him. Um, it'll be a lesson learned for a lot of his England teammates as well. 
And I think it's a, it, he's done so well to put that behind him and go on to be an absolute star in this City team. And I agree, I don't think he deserves to be back on the bench once some of their key players come back. You know, they, they've got players like De Bruyne and Aguero not coming in, playing in the team at the moment. But do, do either of them really deserve to replace Foden, considering how well he's played and how well, you know, how not so well De Bruyne has played some of this season? I think... Foden deserves to have that position all to himself. Going back to this particular game that we're we're talking about, I can't see anything other than a City win. I don't think it would be particularly emphatic because Mourinho doesn't tend to lose games massively. So I've, I've gone for a 2-0 win for Man City in this one. Of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> you can probably guess what I put. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be one of those performances where City doesn't have the quality on the day to, to see off Tottenham. Tottenham obviously are a better side than they were a couple of years ago, but I just don't see this being massively competitive as a matchup. I think Man City on the run they're on just are going to be unstoppable for maybe every team other than a couple in the Premier League. So it'll be very interesting to see if they are stopped before the end of the season or whether they can just go on blowing opponents away. And a question I have for you, I guess, is around... The penalty crisis, I guess, which is a, a minor thing to worry about if you're a Man City fan right now. But they have missed a couple recently. I think maybe they've missed their last three out of four. Obviously, we've heard in the news, we've heard press conferences that Pep regards Edison to be his best penalty taker in the squads. Do you think it's realistic to maybe see Edison taking penalties for Man City in the near future? I'd love to see it. I think it'd be brilliant. But... Do I think it's actually going to happen? No, I don't. I, I think Pep's too sensible to actually allow that to happen because imagine they get a penalty and it gets saved by the keeper and the other team break up the other end. What's Edison going to do? Sprint back and save a, a shot down the other end? It's it's not going to happen. I think maybe if they're 4-0 up and they get a penalty, then maybe he might consider it. But in, in terms of whether he's going to be their designated penalty taker, I think it's it's just Pep toying with us and having fun with the media like he always does to be honest I can't see it being a a big deal to be honest yeah I'm sure you're right unfortunately but it would be great to see a keeper march up the pitch and smash over a penalty I think it's been a while since we've seen that in any division around the world let alone the Premier League so I don't know maybe Pep will surprise us one day that'd be nice right moving on then we have Brighton versus Aston Villa uh Brighton massively improved lately they're starting to convert performances into points which they weren't doing for so long towards the start of the season unbeaten in five now and Aston Villa again who who are becoming very difficult to predict they got a good result against Arsenal but before that they lost to West Ham yeah I guess it's it's difficult one to call because two teams who are capable of probably beating anyone on the day as we saw with Brighton they beat Liverpool at Anfield Aston Villa got the win against Arsenal yes Arsenal weren't at the best but it's a good win nevertheless and yeah, I don't know which way this is going to go, to be honest. Um, Brighton probably are in the best form they've been all season. But again, Aston Villa probably never worth writing out of any matchup this season, especially with Ollie Watkins, who got his 10th goal of the season against Arsenal. And what a signing he's been. And what a signing most of the players have been for Aston Villa. Emi Martinez, again, with another clean sheet against Arsenal, against his former club. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult game to call. Yeah, it is. And I think it's, I mean, realistically, we're probably looking at a fairly low scoring game, I think, because you've got, as you just mentioned, Martinez having the season of his life, playing amazingly well in goal. But I think a real standout performer for me over the last few weeks has been Sanchez in goal for Brighton. Some of the saves he's made. I don't know. I don't know where this form has come from. He's always been decent for them, but he suddenly seems to have become pretty much like a world-class goalkeeper. I've only conceded was it one goal in their last five Premier League games? That's up there with sort of Man City's record. Um, so they're, they're doing really well. Fair play to him. But then you've got to consider as well, as you just mentioned as well, Ollie Watkins in fantastic form. One of the best strikers in the league this season, um, playing really well. So one of the best strikers coming up against one of the best goalkeepers. It could be quite interesting to see how that pans out. And I think a lot of the the fate of this game could come down to that that battle up front. Yeah, I agree. Uh I remember when Sanchez broke into the Brighton team, I thought he was just in there because Ryan was injured. Uh, but as we've seen since then, Matt Ryan's gone on loan to Arsenal and Sanchez has just nailed down that starting spot and he's definitely their number one now. So I think he's been at the club since he was he was young and he's been loaned out a couple of times, but he's finally getting that chance to shine in the Premier League and yeah, he's taken it, so fair play to him. And it is probably going to be one of those games where both goalkeepers are going to be pretty busy and I think they'll probably keep out a lot of the attacking efforts of both sides. So... I think you're right. I think it will be low scoring. And I think I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Um, it just seems like the right result. And I think it's a good result for both sides at this stage of the season. Yeah, I think that's probably not a terrible prediction. I've, I've gone for a, a very close 
to that. Um, I've gone for a 2-1 win for Aston Villa. Um, so although I say low scoring, I've then predicted three goals. Um, but I'm going to sort of help myself out there and say one of them will be a penalty, which doesn't really count. Um, so, um, yeah, I've gone for 2-1 for Aston Villa. I, as, as good as Brighton have been recently, I do think Aston Villa have still been exceptional at times. And with players like Watkins and Grealish and, and Barkley, etc., going up against them, um, I think Brighton will struggle to keep them out for the whole game. Uh, so, yeah, I do think they'll, they'll probably win this one overall. OK, and that brings us on to Wolves against Southampton. Wolves struggling, as we've been saying time and time again. And then Southampton, Matt, I hate to say it, but it's not looking good at the moment, is it? I know, I know we've said injury crisis has a lot to do with that, but this is the first episode we've recorded since that 9-0 against Man United. And you can't seriously thought I wasn't going to mention it at some point. It has to be mentioned and surely need to get a, at least a little bit of your thoughts on what went wrong and how it all happened. I was hoping we could just bypass it and pretend it never happens. I think a lot of Southampton fans have done that already, but it seems you're intent to get a reaction out of me, so here you go. Yeah, it's embarrassing, really, and that's not because we lost 9-0 for the second time in a couple of seasons. It's embarrassing because of what football has become in terms of refereeing and VAR and what we are subjected to now as football fans. Um, I thought that was a really good example of it in this match, in an isolated situation. Yes, we didn't play well. Yes, we had 10 men for the majority of the game because of a bad tackle early on, but None of the decisions went our way. And I would say probably the two key decisions in this match were the goal that we scored. I don't think it was offside. I think Che Adams's armpit was probably offside, but that's not how offside should work, in my opinion. I think it's ridiculous. I don't think any football fan wants to see a goal ruled out for, for what is just like a, a centimetre. And the, the other one, the red cards for Bednarek, I just thought was ridiculous. And as you'll be able to relate to now, I think Mike Ding's time in the Premier League is is almost over because he just seems to make every single game about himself and it it was just a concoction of really really poor refereeing that cost us this game I don't think we'd have lost 9-0 if it wasn't for the referee who was in charge of this match and again it's going to go down in history as as this you know another 9-0 defeat but it is just a very tough time to be a Southampton fan, especially when that was backed up by a 3-2 defeat to Newcastle at the weekend. It's just, yeah, it's, it's not great being a being a fan of, of the Saints right now. But I think there is light on the horizon. I don't think we're going to be able to, I don't think we'll sustain this really poor form that we're on right now. I think we've got players coming back into the side. I think the manager will prove to be the difference in this situation because we've seen last time we lost 9-0, we bounced back and we showed some character. And I think that will happen again. I think Ralph's too good a manager to let us just stew in this situation that we currently find ourselves in. Whether it will happen in this game, I don't know, because it's a tough matchup for us. Uh, going to Wolves is always tough. Yeah, it's it's difficult to predict, but yeah, I guess you've got my opinion now. You know where I'm coming from, and I think you'd probably agree uh, from a Southampton point of view, these games are, are not looking great at the moment. I mean, that 9-0 game, as much as it was, obviously it was a disaster for Southampton, and was an absolute delight for Man United fans. Um, I was talking to my dad afterwards, who's a, a Man United fan, and we did sort of agree that there, there's an element of we should have been spending that time afterwards sort of looking at how well Man United played, but instead that game, the the, the aftermath of that game got spent looking at the ridiculous referee in, in that game, the ridiculous VAR decisions. And I do think it sort of tarnished that game in a way, and I, I definitely don't think it would things would have been as bad for Southampton if it hadn't been sort of handled that way from an officiating point of view and that was disappointing to see because I think that's you know setting aside your position as a Southampton fan when a game finishes 9-0 in the Premier League that's something that we should all be talking about because of the fact it was 9-0 not because of the fact that something ridiculous was done by the referee in sending off a player for something clearly not a sending off and I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about Mike Dean later on potentially when we come on to the West Ham preview that we're going to do but the way that he officiated that game was just it did strike me of arrogance and, and I think he's, as you said, I think his time is coming to an end in the Premier League, which is definitely something we'll all be looking forward to anyway. In terms of the your sort of performance, I mean, obviously that's a game to forget. I thought the game against Newcastle was almost more of an issue because of the fact that Newcastle were a, a team that were there for the taking, really. And I think, I did think, again, you had some moments where you came so close to scoring and a lot of that was very unlucky and you know, that's that's a situation that no one ever wants to see their team in when you're trying to get back into a, a position to recover a game and, and come in so close. But do you think there was an element of hangover from that 9-0 where 
a bit of the belief has gone out of the team or do you think that was just an unfortunate result against Newcastle that you can bounce back from? Yeah, I think that 9-0 definitely affected this performance. I think it would be naive to suggest it wasn't. I, th- I think, yes, we bounced back last time, we lost 9-0, but I think this was a different one where we felt a little bit punished by the officiating in that match and we didn't really deserve to lose 9-0, whereas arguably last time we lost 9-0, we probably did deserve to. So yeah, I, th- I do think that the performance against Newcastle was almost a hangover from from that Manchester United game. And when you concede two goals so early, it's very difficult to get back into a game as it is. And we pretty much gifted them the goals that they got as well. So yeah, it was tough, but I, I like that we started to show some fight. Um, got a goal back through Minamino, got a goal back through James Ward-Prowse, but we just couldn't find the equaliser. And I think had we found the equaliser, it would have been the perfect remedy for the loss against Manchester United. But having now lost two games in a row and, and five in the Premier League in total now, it does make it a very tough situation to bounce back from. And yeah, I am slightly worried as to where we're going to finish the league this season because it was looking so good for so long. But now we're in a state where we're only going in one direction and we've got difficult fixtures coming up now with this double header against Wolves. We've got them in the cup on Thursday and then again on the weekend. Yeah, two defeats in those two games and, and things aren't looking so rosy anymore. So it really is crunch time for us at the moment. So I've actually gone for a, a two-all draw um, in the league game. I, I think... We probably will be improved and I think we can get a result. But we've seen Wolves recover a little bit recently. They pulled out a really good win against Arsenal, even if it was against nine men. And, you know, a draw against Leicester is a good result on paper. Maybe they could have won that on the chances they had, but two fairly credible results there. So I'm not going to get too carried away with how poor they've been recently and and expect us to get a result there because we've seen how good they can be on their day. But yeah, I'm going to go for a draw and fingers crossed that just ends our, our losing streak. Yeah, I guess a draw wouldn't be the worst result, would it? At least it, it sort of ends that run of, of losses and I think it, it still would be a good way of, of bouncing back. So fingers crossed for at least a positive result. Um, moving on to the next game, we've got West Brom taking on Man United, two teams at vastly opposite ends of the table and in vastly different forms. Um, I mean, it seems, again, as we've always said, the, the easiest game to predict of the weekend. There's always one of them and I feel like this is probably it. Can you see anything? Can you see West Brom, Sam Allardyce manufacturing some sort of result against Man United at the moment? Yeah, absolutely not. Um, I know I said that Sam Allardyce was some kind of effect on West Brom and their survival chances, but they've conceded so many goals since he took over. Um, I really thought that would change once he took the steering wheel, but he's just, you know, he's done nothing to solidify any kind of defence in this team. And it makes you wonder what Slavin Bilic was doing any better than what Sam Allardyce is doing now, because... There's been almost no difference from what I can see. But yeah, and Manchester United haven't been great either, to be honest. Like, aside from that 9-0, which obviously was massively aided by an early red card and a couple of other issues in that game, I don't think they've been great recently. They lost to Sheffield United, drew with Arsenal, threw away the win against Everton last week. I don't think they're particularly sensational at the moment. And because they're second in the league, you'd expect so much more. So you would expect them to be pushing Man City for the title, but they don't look like they're on their level at all. Uh, yes, they'll be good enough to win this game because I think most teams that go to the Hawthorns are going to pick up three points. But I don't think they're anywhere near where they need to be at the moment. So regardless of this result, which I'm sure they'll get a win, I, I don't think it's particularly promising for Manchester United to be in the position they are in the league. But you know, I, I don't think they're there on merit at the moment. I think they are just, just winning games purely through the quality that they have in their side. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, just on Sam Allardyce at West Brom, I mean... I thought there was some merit to what you said a couple of weeks ago about he's, he's going to come good with this. They've played 11 games since he joined and they've conceded more than one goal in 10 of those 11 games. Um, the only game they only conceded one goal was against Liverpool, uh, where they drew 1-1. So they've not kept a single clean sheet since he joined and they've, they've just been leaking goals through and through. And you'd think if there's one thing Allardyce is going to fix when he comes into a team, it's the defence. And he's not been able to fix that. We know he doesn't play great attacking football. So what exactly is he fixing? Because it's nothing to do with the team. I don't know if they've got some leaking toilets or something at the training ground that he's coming to fix. But there's, uh, he's not done anything with that squad. Um, so it does seem like a really easy Man United win. But I do agree with what you're saying. They do seem still a long way off the pace of where Man City are at. And one thing I picked up on, and I think a lot of people have picked up on, is once you take Fernandez out of that team, they just seem to be completely out of ideas going forward. I watched them, obviously, for 120 minutes against West Ham in the FA Cup. And until Fernandes came on, I genuinely wasn't worried once. I, I didn't think there was a single moment where I was worried they were going to score. And then Fernandes comes on and they just look a different team. 
he wasn't necessarily involved in the goal that was scored, but just the way that he is on the pitch and his ability to pick out a pass, everyone around him looked to wake up. I think that's a real, real worry for Solskjaer, surely, that his, their team is so reliant on one player at this moment. Yeah, I think it's more worrying because of the quality they have on that side. They've got other players like on the day should make the difference. Rashford, Cavani, Greenwood even, and Martial. I think these are all players who can turn a game just like that. But recently, they rely so much on Fernandes to put them in that position to actually make the difference. And obviously, we've all been raving about Fernandes all season, how good he's been for Manchester United. But I do think he's covering up a lot of the cracks. I think without him in the side, they wouldn't be title contenders at all. So in the summer, I'm sure they'll do some business. Uh, where that business needs to be done, I'm not too sure because they've got good players in some positions. I think they definitely need a centre-back to partner Maguire. I don't think Lindelof or Eric Bailly are the answer to that problem. Yeah, I think there's work to do for Manchester United and Oli, but this season, I think they'll be pretty happy with a top-four finish and I think they're pretty much guaranteed to get that at this point. Whilst it's probably cause for concern for a Manchester United fan to be so far off the pace, um, I, I would say this is a successful season regardless or not whether they win the Premier League. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. They could win every game for the rest of the season and still not win with the way Man City are playing. So they've, they've just got to accept that all they've got to do is win as many games as possible, make sure they finish in the Champions League places. And if they finish second, then yeah, brilliant result for them. And this game in particular, I've gone for a 3-0 Man United win. I think it seems like a fairly obvious choice, but I don't know, I'm hoping you haven't gone for the same. I was very close, but I actually fancy West Brom to get a goal, to be honest. We've seen Manchester United concede a lot of goals recently against teams who they shouldn't be conceding goals to. Yeah, I expect West Brom to get a goal, but I do think it'll be a comfortable win for Manchester United overall and a fairly predictable win, I think. Okay, moving on, we have Arsenal versus Leeds. Uh, One of the more interesting games of the weekend. I always think this matchup's pretty interesting stylistically. Arsenal with that patient build-up play that we've become so used to watching and Leeds with that aggressive counter-attack, high press, high intensity. I think it's just perfect for an entertaining game of football and I expect this to be no different. Leeds are really starting to hit that same form that they were hitting at the start of the season, just relying on on their wide players to create something for Bamford and recently they've been so good at doing that. Rafinha and Harrison have just been supplying great chances for Bamford who just hasn't stopped scoring this season. I think a lot of people expected him to quiet down a bit and and go off the boil, but he's he's continued to score goals pretty much all season. Uh, I think he got his 10th against Crystal Palace in the week. And yeah, they're looking like a top 10 team now, which is not something you could see. It wouldn't surprise you if they go a bit higher up than that either before the end of the season. I think they do have the players in this team to to push for European football. Whether they'll get it or not, I'm not too sure. But they definitely look like they're, you know, well up there and deservedly, in my opinion. As for Arsenal, I mean, they had that mini recovery over Christmas and we saw them pick up quite a few wins and good results. But recently, they've gone back to their old ways and that catastrophic defeat against Wolves where they had two players sent off and lost 2-1 was abysmal. I don't think David Luiz will be getting another game for a while but then at the same time I thought his red card was very harsh so yeah what Leno was doing there I have no idea if that was uh, completely inexcusable in my opinion. I don't think he remembered what he was doing at that point but yeah it's an interesting game in, in that sense. I think either team could easily win this game. Whether it will be that way or whether Arsenal can prove that they're actually going to be contending for Europe this season, I'm not sure. But I think both teams will probably be very close to each other by the end of the season. Yeah, I think on Arsenal, I mean, those two red cards sort of summed up some of the issues that they've had. I can't remember what the time period was, but there was some stat about red cards and Arsenal had 10 red cards and no other team had more than five red cards in that period. It's just... They seem to have a real problem with keeping their players on the pitch. To have two players sent off in one game, no matter how unfortunate, is obviously never ideal. And I think the fact that it happened to them, obviously it happened to Southampton midweek, but the second one was the one that was ridiculous and should never have happened. Whereas for Arsenal, they'd had a player sent off for something that was ridiculous already. And then Leno comes charging out of his goal and tries to punch the ball into the stands. There's there's something wrong with the mentality of that team if a player thinks he can do that and get away with it. I just don't understand what was going through his head. And I can't see how you can have that kind of mindset in, in a game, play for a team that needs to be up there at the top of the league. And I, I don't know, Just I'm, I'm almost lost for words on it, still thinking about it now. I don't understand what he was doing. Moments like that are the kind of moments that can cost you, your team the chance to really get up the league. Realistically, someone like Leno, OK, he's not been incredible for them this year, but he is a good goalkeeper. And so you, you're missing him now for, for three games. So you've got to change that. And regardless of who who's coming in to replace him in goal, the defenders are then got to get used to playing with a different goalkeeper. And there's going to be some 
communication issues there. It's going to make the back line nervous. It's going to make the midfield nervous. It just causes problems. And I feel like, as you said, Arsenal had that recovery over Christmas and start of January. And it almost feels like they're just getting ready to slide back down the table again. Leeds, on the other hand, look like they're going from strength to strength and they're pulling out some brilliant results. I think they're well on track to do what Wolves did when they first came up to the Premier League and get a solid top half of the table finish. And, you know, if Leeds carry on the way they're playing, they could even be pushing for a European place, which in their first season in the Premier League would be absolutely amazing. And I think it would sort of prove right a lot of the people that predicted that they were going to come up and and smash the league. They're probably going to be a way off getting back up to the lofty heights that they used to play at of competing for the league title each year. But there's the nostalgic part of me that does quite like seeing them up there competing for the top half of the table, regardless of whether I'm a fan of them or not. Yeah, I totally agree. It's great to see Leeds doing as well as they have been this season. I think everybody expected them to do well uh, because of how they destroyed the championship last season. But the success they've had this season has been pretty unprecedented and it proves that that style of play that was so unique in the championship is transferable to the Premier League and teams do struggle to deal with it. I actually expect Arsenal to struggle at the weekend as well. I think the game at Ellen Road was really close. It was 0-0 early in the season. Another red card in that game as well, the Pepe. But yeah, I do expect Leeds to give Arsenal all kinds of problems. I actually think they're going to win this game um, and, and lump the pressure onto Arteta because at the moment, they just look like the better team all across the pitch. I know the team probably cost half the amount to assemble, but some of the players, especially Rafinha, there was a bit of skill he did against Crystal Palace that just blew my mind. And if he can perform that kind of trickery on like regularly and, and perform to a really high standard, which he has been recently, I can I can see them going as high as you said in the Europa spots. So yeah, I've gone for a 1-0 Leeds win. I, I think they'll do enough. And as we've seen recently, Arsenal just aren't scoring many goals. And like you said, without that authority at the back with Matt Ryan in goal probably instead of Leno I think it could cause them more problems than solutions so yeah I'm gonna go for a 1-0 Leeds win and I imagine Bamford will get the goal. Yeah this was a really hard one to call for me actually probably the one that I spent longest on. Um, I've gone for a 1-1 draw. I agree with you I don't think Arsenal are going to win this I, I can't see them doing it. The way Leeds play I think Arsenal will struggle to compete against that but I do think Arsenal will probably get a goal in this as good as Leeds have been, they've kept very, very few clean sheets. Just not in the nature of their play to keep clean sheets in the Premier League, really. You can get away with it in the Championship, but Premier League, there's too much quality to to shut out teams with the way they play. Yeah, I've gone for a 1-1. I don't think either team will be happy with that result, if that's how it turns out, because I think they'll both feel that they can win this. And I think that's a sign of sort of where those two teams are in the league at the moment, that they... They'll both view this as a massively winnable game, but equally it's a massively losable game for both teams by definition. So I think it could be quite an exciting one to watch, actually. Okay, and up next we've got Everton against Fulham. Everton still sort of doing really well. They recovered that incredible sort of last-minute goal against Man United to make that a 3-3 draw, um, which avoided them suffering another defeat. And I think that sort of kept them afloat in terms of their their push for the top four. I just feel like Fulham are so close to being a really good team. And then every time they look like they might just get a win, they they just fail. They just can't do it. They can't get they can't turn those draws into wins. And we talked to Dom about it last week. You know, Fulham, as much as I, I don't like to slate my own team, I thought Fulham had a really, really good chance against West Ham at the weekend to get a win. We didn't play well at all. We didn't have a load of chances they had a couple of good chances where they could have scored and we got lucky that they didn't. And I think they they needed to win that game. And I think their confidence has just got to be absolutely at rock bottom at the moment. Because even when they play well and they come up against teams that aren't playing well, they're not getting the wins. And I, unfortunately, I don't see anything different in this game. I think Everton will find this quite an easy game, as good of, as Fulham have been defensively the last few weeks. I think Everton will probably tear them apart at times with the way that Everton's attack is looking compared to the way that Fulham are struggling to get past the halfway line at times. Yeah, I think Fulham have gone beyond the point now where draws are an okay result. I think they really did need to get a win at that West Ham game and, and they were never just isn't good enough anymore. They're without a win in six now after that really good spell they had uh, picking up points, but it's just not looking great, is it, really, in terms of survival chances I just think the gap's too big now and they're one of those three teams at the bottom there of Sheffield United and West Brom who just look cut off from the the teams above them and I guess it has just come down to the, the goal scoring department for Fulham they, they've been good in patches defensively but they haven't been able to score goals and without a, a target man without someone you can rely on to score goals you're, you're not going to be able to stay up in this division that's just the reality of it and bringing in Josh Madger on deadline day probably isn't going to be the signing that you you rely on to get you, you know, the goals to keep you up as as good a signing as it may be. I just don't think he's going to be 
that man for them. So I think they've just left it too late now. And I, I don't think they've, they've done enough in the transfer window to give themselves any chances of, of staying up, unfortunately, which is a shame because I, I do think they've played okay at times this season. But yeah, especially in this game, they're going to struggle massively. I think Everton are starting to purr a bit again. Uh, we saw early on in the season just how good they can be on their day. Uh, that draw against Manchester United was fully deserved, in my opinion. I thought they should have won the game. But, you know, there were some good goals in that game, especially for Manchester United. That were probably difficult to defend. But, yeah, it was a good point. And another goal for Calvert-Lewin now, um, his 13th of the season as well. Yeah, the matchups are just horrible for Fulham. And they've got a striker who can score goals. And I imagine he'll, he'll score the goals to get Everton the win over Fulham. And that's basically going to be the tail of the tape, that Everton have a striker who can score goals and Fulham don't. So... I've gone for an Everton 2 0 win in this one. And yeah, I imagine it's going to be pretty comfortable. Yes, it's interesting. I was sort of just while we were talking about Everton, just while we're recording this, obviously Everton are playing in the FA Cup against Tottenham. And I just had a very quick look, just as you were talking about Calvert Lewin scoring goals, and he's just gone off injured and been replaced by Seamus Coleman. Um, so if he is injured, that could make a difference. Having said that, though, uh, Everton has just gone 4 3 up against Tottenham. So it doesn't look like they're struggling to score goals without. Calvert-Lewin so I'm still going to back what I've written down which is a, an Everton 3-0 win regardless of whether Calvert-Lewin comes on the pitch or not in that game. Yeah I think that's a pretty safe bet and I, I'm kind of hoping that it's just a, a precaution that they've taken him off early um, to rest him for the weekend. Um, I'm sure they probably need him more in the league than they do in the FA Cup at the moment so yeah fingers crossed he's not too badly injured and he can play at the weekends as well. All right, moving on then to your side, West Ham United facing Sheffield United at the London Stadium. Yeah, it's a pretty big game for you, isn't it, really? Uh, this could cement your your top six chances. I think it definitely will do if you get a win. I think you'll definitely be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. Obviously, a pretty disappointing result last time out against Fulham. I, I think you probably would have expected to win that game. and I'm sure David Moyes expected to win that game, but Fulham battled pretty hard. And in the end, they were pretty unlucky to only draw that game. So... In the end, I'm sure you're pretty happy with the point. But this game, you would expect to be fairly convincing. I think Sheffield United definitely showed signs of improvement lately. But I think the run of form that they've been on since the start of the season just doesn't really indicate that they're going to be able to you know, put together a run of results that's going to get them anywhere near survival this season, which is a shame. Um, the damage was done so early on for them that I think anything other than just you know the odd win here and there is going to be... you know slightly blotted by everything else that's happened this season for them. I think you'll be very grateful that Suchek's red card has been rescinded. Um, we've seen how key he can be for you this season. And without him, I think the goals come a little less easy. We've seen Jesse Lingard make an immediate impact as well. So maybe that's going to come into fruition in this game as well. I can see him, you know, having a, a decent day out against Sheffield United, to be honest. So I think those two players together, Suchek and Lingard, are probably going to make the difference in this game, especially if Antonio is missing through injury. And I think... Yeah, that's something you'll be worried about uh, having seen him go off against Fulham. Yeah, I think from what I've heard, it's almost guaranteed that he will be missing against Sheffield United. It sounds like the club aren't happy, particularly with how his hamstrings have been reacting to the last few games. His fatigue, he's got some tightness in those muscles, and I think they're not prepared to risk him um, when there's a chance of making it worse. So I think they'll rest him in this. Um, from what I've heard, there's a chance we could see Lingard playing as almost a false nine in this game, especially if Yarmolenko has picked up an injury in the FA Cup. He would have been our natural sort of striker replacement, even though he's not a striker. That's my real worry for this game is, you know, we, I mentioned quickly before we started recording that I think we're, we're coming into a spell where if a couple of these injuries go against us and we pick up a couple more, we could be in real trouble and that could be the end of our top six hopes. I'd like to back the players that are on the bench and I think there's there's enough players on the bench that can fit into that team that we can still do well. But it, it showed in our FA Cup game against Man United when we don't have Antonio on the pitch, we really struggle to create and, and have an outlet. And I think my worry is that Sheffield United will almost see this as a free game because realistically, as as good as they've been recently in picking up points... They're 12 points off safety with, what, 16 games to go, 15 games to go. That's not really going to be achievable. So almost they can play without any fear. They can play just for fun now, whereas we desperately need to win this game, as you said, to stay in contention with the top six. So although they can't really do much for themselves, they can do a lot to spoil a lot of other people's fun. And I feel like they could spoil our fun. I'm not massively confident for this game at all. And I think, sadly, I'm going to have to predict a 1-1 draw. Um, we never seem to do very well against Sheffield United 
and I feel like they'll be up for this game and and I feel like we're going to be struggling to field a team of players that like playing in the positions they're going to be fielded in so I think it's going to be a tricky one and I'm I'm worried we could start to see West Ham slide down the table a bit like Southampton sadly have done over the last few weeks as well. Yeah I really hope that doesn't happen for your sake because it's been painful to be a Southampton fan lately but I mean, it does just highlight, I guess, from a West Ham point of view, how poor it was during January not to bring in a striker. I mean, you would have thought letting Haller go so early on in the window would, would give you enough time to bring in an ample replacement. But not only did you not bring in a striker, but you didn't, you didn't bring in anyone really other than Lingard. And he's not brought in there to, to score the goals. I mean, like you said, he may well play a false nine this weekend and, and get a couple himself or, you know, get, in good, get into good positions. But he's not been brought in to do that job. And it is just very surprising that not just the manager, David Moyes, but the board haven't done anything proactively to try and solve that situation because like we've seen of Antonio, you just can't rely on him to put together five or six games in a row at the moment with his hamstrings. So yeah, it's an interesting situation that West Ham now find themselves in, in that they're in a very good place in the table, but the team's starting to wilt a little bit through injuries, which is almost identical, like you said, to the situation that Southampton have been going through recently. So this match-off against Sheffield United probably is a lot more difficult now than it would have been a couple of weeks ago. Not just because Sheffield United have got better, but those injuries are definitely going to hold you back a bit. So I think I'm going to agree with you. I, I would like to go for a different scoreline. So I, actually, I will. I will go for a nil-nil rather than a 1-1. But yeah, without Antonio, I, I can't really see the goals uh, coming as easily. Um, I'd like to say Lingard could be that guy for you, but I don't really see it. Sadly, I don't, I don't think we can rely on Lingard to score goals. And I've got to agree, I, I am disappointed we didn't bring anyone in in, the, in January. Um, as a fan, it's hard to know what to believe because we know that our board and our owners are very good at spinning the PR angle and making it seem like everything's not their fault, etc. But I think sort of looking at it sensibly, you've got to go into this thinking, we've we've got a notoriously tight board in terms of money spending um we're in the middle of a global pandemic they're losing money every match because of lack of fans buying tickets etc their aim for this season would have been survival and they're going to look they're going to have gone into january looking at us in contention for top four places and gone well we're not going to get relegated so let's just save the money and wait and see what happens before we invest anything and I think it's all well and good Moyes coming out and saying, oh, well, you know, I looked around at the market, the money was there to spend, but I didn't want to spend it unnecessarily. Um, I think it's more likely that the owners have said to him, you know, we need you to just make it clear that you didn't want to buy anyone and that's why we've not spent the money. Because it wouldn't surprise me at all if they've done that and they've sort of made him take the blame for that. And I think he would do it because I think he values his job there and I think he's he's building something good and fair play to him for, for steadying the ship and not, rocking the boat in that sense um but yeah it's going to be a problem for us and I, I just think it's going to be really hard for us to get through the last 15 16 games of the season without a, a backup striker right moving on we have the last game of the game week Chelsea hosting Newcastle Chelsea resurgent now under Thomas Tuchel with three wins in a row and a draw um I don't really count the draw because he was only in the job for a day I think before that draw against Wolves but three wins in a row and three impressive performances in my opinion I thought the Sheffield United result was probably the least impressive of the three, but I think he's starting to come to terms with what squad he has and how he wants to play and who he wants to play in what position. And we've seen three different lineups in three different games from him. So I think he's finally starting to fine tune this Chelsea side and how he wants them to play. Um, I thought a win against Sheffield United was actually probably a much better result than it looks because we've seen Sheffield United have a bit of resurgence lately and getting a win there is probably a, a better result, especially on a on a wet, cold evening like it was. I think it was a, a much better three points than it looks. Um, coming up against Newcastle, who again, they were good against Southampton, but I didn't think they were amazing. I think they took advantage of us in the first half, put the goals in. Um, Willock had a good debut. But all in all, I don't think there was anything there to suggest that they're going to be anything other than what we've seen for the majority of this season. Um, I think defensively, they're very weak. They lost a couple of players through injury in this game as well. Shah went down with a horrible-looking injury. They lost Callum Wilson as well through injury. And without those key players, I just don't think they're going to be competitive, especially in this matchup. Um, I think Chelsea are probably going to go on a run now that will see them cement a top-four spot and probably vindicate the fact that they sacked Frank Lampard when they did. But yeah, just a very tough matchup for Newcastle, and I expect Chelsea to, to win this pretty easily. Um, yeah, interesting. I'm, I'm not sure I necessarily agree that Chelsea are going to cement themselves a place in the top four, to be honest. I think they've, they've definitely shown some improvements under their new manager. Um, but 
I don't know. I, I wonder whether that's it is a the new manager bounce and then we're going to see them sort of falter a bit. I still think there's plenty of other teams around there that could still push for the top four. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure I would put my money necessarily on them being one of them. Although they've got a good points position at the moment, I think it's hard to look past the fact that Everton are only two points behind them and they have two games in hand. And I think realistically, if I had to put my money on one of those teams to break into the top four, I'd probably still back Everton at the moment, which I didn't think I'd be saying at the start of the season. But yeah, looking at Newcastle, I have to agree, although they were good against Southampton, they they didn't show me anything that made me think they'd go on and beat a team like Chelsea, and especially with those added injuries that they've got. I mean, Wilson's a big loss to them, um, and, and Shah as well, I think, will be a big loss for them as well. So they're going to have to pull something out of the bag and I'm not sure where it's going to come from to be honest because without some of their key players they are a very very average team they performed at a high level against Southampton but I don't think it's sustainable for them because if it was they'd have been playing like that all season and I don't think anything's really changed in that game that makes me think that they're going to be able to continue that beyond that match so I think it probably is going to be a fairly comfortable Chelsea win I've gone with 2-0 yeah, just one up to you there. I've gone for 3-0. I think it's a matter of time before we see Timo Werner back in the goals. I think I say that every week now, <laughs> hoping that he's eventually going to break his duck in the Premier League. But I kind of think Newcastle are the team to do it against, especially with their back four. I don't see any players there who are going to put up a particularly strong defence against someone of the quality of Timo Werner. So I think it'd be great for him to get a couple of goals. And yeah, that's where I've gone with my, my 3-0 prediction. Yeah, I think at some point you're going to have to give up on this Werner idea. But, you know, I think to be fair, I think you're probably right. He is clearly a very, very talented player and he is going to start scoring at some point. It's just hard to predict when because every time someone predicts he's going to score loads of goals, he does absolutely nothing. But it's going to come at some point. I imagine there'll be a flood of goals when it does. Probably towards the end of the season, he'll start banging in two goals one week, three goals the next, two goals the next week. And he'll go on next season to be top goal scorer. We'll all wonder what all the fuss was about this season. But yeah, it's got to happen sooner rather than later for him. Otherwise, Chelsea fans, as we said before, are definitely going to lose patience with him. Yeah, there's still time for him to win that golden boot. Yeah, that's what I predicted at the start of the season. And I think I'm going to stick with it reluctantly. <laughs> but um, we'll, see, we'll see how we get on with that one. But yeah, it's not looking great at the moment. Okay, moving on then to our questions. And they're kind of related to what we were just talking about. Timo Werner, obviously not been in the goals this season, but three strikers, three English strikers have been. Um, Patrick Bamford of Leeds, Ollie Watkins of Aston Villa and Dominic Calvert-Lewin of Everton. Um, and so the question is, out of Bamford, Watkins and Calvert-Lewin, who have you been most impressed with so far and who would you have at your team? I'm just going to open it up to you, Peter. I would like to see what you go with first. Obviously, when you've got three players to choose from, it's tricky. I'm, I've got to narrow it down to two initially before talking about them, because otherwise we'll be here all day. Um, and I think the two that I've got to really narrow it down to would be Bamford and Watkins. As good as Calvert-Lewin has been, he's also gone through some spells of not scoring that many goals. And also, he's probably the one that's played most recently. in the Well, no, he is the one that's played most recently in the Premier League anyway against a lot of these teams. Um, whereas Bamford and Watkins have come off the back of a season in the Championship and so often we see Championship strikers coming up into the Premier League and just not being able to perform. Perfect one being Timu Puki from last season for Norwich, started off amazingly and then just showed that he really is just a Championship striker. Whereas Bamford and Watkins have come up and they've absolutely excelled themselves in their ability to score. They've both scored plenty of goals for their teams really good goals as well. It's not like they're just scoring tap-ins. They're scoring really, really good strikers' goals, cultured goals, top corner, hitting them in there. I mean, Watkins as well has been incredibly unlucky with some of the chances he's had. And Bamford, you could argue, has actually been a little bit wasteful with some of the chances he's had. So I think realistically, it's between those two. My money would be on Bamford to end the season on the most goals out of those three. I think he's shown a real ability that I didn't think he had to be consistent with his striking. And I'm, I've been really, really impressed with him. Really enjoyed watching him play. And I think some of the goals he's scored have been sort of reminiscent of, of a little bit of what Harry Kane's been doing with some of the way he finishes in the box and his movement up front. So I think in terms of an all-round striker, I'd probably go with him. Yeah, that's a good shout. Uh, the one player who I've probably been most fond of out of these three this season has been Patrick Bamford. I think he's one of those players who got written off at the start of the season. People saw how... Paulie, he played for Middlesbrough last time there in the Premier League, got one goal, funnily enough, it was against Southampton. But he's bounced back with Leeds this season and 10 goals and counting this season. I think he's just been really impressive. Uh, Leading the line for Leeds can't be easy. You have to put in a lot of legwork. Uh, You have to really fight for your team, press. And 
some of the finishing that he's played this season has been top notch. I think like some of the best goals of the season have been scored by him, especially that one that I can remember against Leicester where he fired it in um, after going one on one on goal. It's just a really great finish. And of those three strikers, I think they're all quite similar in the fact that they're all poachers. They're all strikers who instinctively get into the right position and you can rely on them to get goals on a weekly basis at the moment. So it's a very tough decision. I'm not sure I'd write out Calvert-Lewin quite as much as you. I think he's been really important for Everton this season and he has been reliable when he's played. I think he's been injured for a bit as well. Equally, Watkins, though, they've all been good and it's very difficult to choose one. But because I've been a Bamford fanboy from day one this season, I think I'm going to stick with him. I don't know if I'd take him at Southampton right now. I probably would, in the sense that we've been struggling for goals lately. But long term, I probably wouldn't, because I'm not sure if he can sustain it for season after season. But it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the summer with Leeds and whether they stick with Bamford uh, with their Europa League aspirations or whether they look to replace him for someone perhaps, you know, of a more cultured nature, perhaps some, you know, top high calibre striker who's used to scoring goals in, say, La Liga, Bundesliga or, or the French League. So you'll be very interesting. But I think Bamford fully deserves the praise that he's got this season. And I actually think he's probably deserving of an England slot at the Euros as well. So he would be the one I pick. No disrespect to Watkins or Calvert-Lewin. I think they're both great strikers too. But my bias is edging me towards Bamford. Yeah, I think we've, we've both agreed on that. Is, isn't it nice, though, to think how many sort of English strikers there are that are doing really well in the league at the moment. It's good to see that in the Premier League. Um, and it's good for good signs for England that we've got so many people firing shots on target and getting the goals consistently in the build-up to a, a major tournament. So can't complain, really. OK, that brings an end to this episode of the 3PL podcast. A big thank you to everyone out there who continues to listen each week. We'll be back again next week to preview all the upcoming games in the Premier League. Until then, make sure you are following us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And also make sure you are subscribed on YouTube to make sure you never miss an episode. We'll catch you all again next week.